If you want to take your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Again, welcome to Bayou City Fellowship. Why don't you turn to the person on your right and your left and say, thanks for being here. So last week, you remember, we uh, set up this series on relationships. The idea is that uh, we're going to the Word of God to learn how to navigate relationships on both stormy and smooth seas. Uh, We wish the messages were about how to only have smooth seas relationally, but we just don't get that option, do we? Uh, There are all kinds of things that happen uh, that uh, cause waves in our relationships, and it's your job and my job uh, through the help of the Holy Spirit to learn how to navigate uh, those relationships. So last week we talked about friendships, uh, and uh, this week uh, we're talking about marriage. Uh, You know, marriage is a mystery, the mystery of uh, marriage. I mean, those of you who are married, you know it's a mystery because did you have any idea what you were getting yourself into when you said, I do? No, you did it. Uh, like take uh, my marriage, for example, uh, with my lovely wife, Amanda, on Friday, I was working out in the yard most of the day doing some landscaping. And I'm not talking about planting a few flowers. I'm talking about I went to a place and they took a tractor and I dumped a bunch of dirt in the back of my truck. That kind of landscaping, manscaping, that's what it is. And, uh, and so I was out there all day and about dusk, uh, I got my hands in uh, some of our plants and it's hard to see. And all of a sudden I feel a bunch of things crawling on me. Now we're in Houston, Texas, so you know it's not butterflies and it's not caterpillars and it's not roly polies. It's fire ants. And so I start, you know, brushing them off, but then they start biting up and down my arms. And I think, well, I've been here before. That's not a big deal. And then I feel them underneath my clothes, um, all underneath my clothes. And they're biting underneath my clothes, not just, you know, crawling around. And so I start taking off as many of my clothes as I feel like it's responsible to do out in my front yard. I think I get inside before I was clothesless. Uh, and so uh, I think around 50 bites is where I'm at right now. The tally's still going up as the swelling uh, goes down. But uh, last night, Amanda made this uh, homemade concoction uh, for me. I don't know. She went into her laboratory, otherwise known as the bathroom, and uh, she whipped something up. And, and so, you know, uh, I'm, you know, she's doctoring up my arms and putting these things all over me. And I said to her last night, did you have any idea that this is what you were agreeing to uh, when we got married on June 15th? And she was like, absolutely not. If I had known, I probably would have reconsidered, you know. <laughs> No, she didn't say that. I'm just kidding. I mean, who, can, who would reconsider marrying me? Obviously, no one. And marriage is a mystery. You, you know it's a mystery because you didn't know what you, you were getting yourself into. It's a mystery that really any two people, two uh, lovely but selfish, strong-willed, strong-opinionated people could come together as one. Marriage is a mystery because think about all the different aspects of your marriage. There's definitely a romantic A part of your marriage, but there's also a friendship part of your marriage. There's a financial partnership uh, in your marriage. There's a roommate situation. You parent uh, together. You're co-comedians. You know, ideally you uh, laugh more with your spouse than you do with anybody else on planet earth. All these different aspects come together uh, to form of marriage, and it really is a mystery. And in Ephesians chapter 5, verse Uh, 22 through 23, that's what we are going to see. We're going to see the mystery 
of marriage. You know, mystery is a key word in the book of Ephesians. In fact, chapter 1 really starts out by talking about the mystery of God's plan for salvation. How on earth is God going to save humanity? Sin has come into the world and we have sided with our own sin over and over and over again against God. But he loves us still. But how is he going to redeem us from that? It's a mystery that was revealed in Jesus. That's what Ephesians chapter 1 says. And then uh, Paul prays a lot of things for us in Ephesians chapter 1, like we would have a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation. Why do we need a spirit of wisdom and revelation? Because the salvation that we have received and accepted, it's a a mystery. And then he prays a few verses later that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, meaning our minds would be open. Why do our minds need to be open? Because the salvation is a mystery. In chapter 3, he talks about the mystery of how God's people can come together as one, the Jewish people and the Gentiles all coming together as one under the banner of Jesus. It's a, it's a mystery. And in Ephesians chapter 5, he transitions uh, to explaining this mystery of marriage. Chapter 22, or verse 22 of chapter 5. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. To make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. Verse 31, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself and the wife is to respect her husband. So a few observations this morning. Number one, marriage is an illustration of Jesus' relationship with the church. Verse 32, this mystery is profound, but I'm not just talking about marriage, I'm talking about Christ and the church. You'll notice in this passage that Paul spends really more time talking about Jesus's relationship with the church than he actually does talking about husbands and wives. Uh, This theme is all the way through the New Testament. We have Jesus uh, using marriage as a parable, uh, a parable of the ten virgins about a bridesmaid party and how they needed to be ready with their oil ready for when the the wedding uh, would happen so that you and I would have readiness for our salvation in the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians talks about how he actually wants to present the churches that he's responsible for to Jesus as an unblemished bride, as a pure bride. Uh, Then we have Revelation chapter 19. Uh, Why don't you turn there? Revelation chapter 19. A future wedding celebration in heaven that you and I will actually get to be a part of. So this is not a metaphor, this is actually something that will happen. 
Revelation chapter 19, verse 6. Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters, and like the rumbling of loud thunder, saying, Hallelujah, because our Lord God the Almighty has begun to reign. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give Him glory, because the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, now remember what's happening is John, the disciple, has been caught up into heaven. He's getting this vision of heaven and he doesn't really know if he's actually in heaven or he's, or he's just seeing all these things. But an angel is essentially giving him a tour of heaven and of future events. So then the angel says to him, write those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb are fortunate, exclamation mark. He also said to me, these words of God are true. Then I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow slave with you and your brothers who have the testimony about Jesus. Worship God because the testimony about Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So John gets this vision. He sees this marriage feast, this marriage reception, this celebration, this supper that's happening between Christ and the church. And he is so overwhelmed about it. He is so pumped up about it. He's so out of his mind about it that he actually falls down and starts to worship the angel. Now, this wasn't just some guy off the street. This was John, a a first disciple of Jesus. He was there in the beginning. He was so in tune with his identity as a Jesus follower that he called himself the beloved disciple. In fact, in his gospel, he never even refers uh, to himself by his own name, just as the one whom Jesus loved. So this was not a guy who was confused about whose name was above every name. But he's so out of his mind about this vision of of this massive wedding celebration that he just has to worship somebody. Something actually falls down, starts to worship the angel. And the angel is like, hey, that's above my pay grade. That's not what we're doing here. I'm just a servant like you. You know who to worship. I'm just telling you the things that are to come. But we see in the scripture, in the New Testament, especially, but even in the Old Testament, that marriage is an illustration about how God feels about his people. The next thing that I want you to see is there is a God-ordained order to marriage. There is a God-ordained order to marriage. We see that men have roles. We see that women have roles. We see that Christ has a role. Verse 33, it sums it up. Literally, to sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. So there are roles here because God gives order to everything. I mean, think about the creation story. Day one, something happens. Day two, something happens that didn't happen on day one, that just happened on day two. Day three, day four, day five, day six, day seven, God rests. There's order in creation. What does he he tell Adam and Eve to do? He, He says, I want you to subdue the creation. I want you to have dominion over it. I want you to give order to it. We see order even in the way that Jesus called his disciples. There was a massive crowd that would follow Jesus. And inside the massive crowd, there was a circle of 70 or 72. Inside the circle of 70 or 72, there's a circle of 12. Inside the circle of 12, there's a circle of three, Peter, James, and John. There's order in the way that Jesus designed his disciples. There's order 
in the way that God explains the end times, you know, the book of Revelation, the apocalypse, the stuff that's coming uh, in the future. There's order, right? There's a lot of confusing order there, but there's order. There's seven trumpets and there's seven seals and there's uh, seven of this and seven of that. There's order there. It doesn't just happen chaotically. Obviously, there's order in nature. We see that all over the place. A couple of weeks ago, Amanda and I were in uh, Atlanta, and we went to the Georgia Aquarium. Uh, the Georgia Aquarium is actually the number one aquarium in the world right now, just this massive, amazing place. And we had a friend of a friend who was giving us a behind-the-scenes tour. So when we got to the sea otters, he's given us the science behind the sea otters, and I was so blown away by it, I just thought I'd share it with you, right? Um, sea otters don't have any blubber, you know. They don't have any kind of fat to keep them warm, but they swim in uh, the cold ocean waters, but they have a million hairs per square inch. Now, that may not seem like a miracle to you, but to somebody like me, <laughs> a, mir- uh, a million, I mean, I'd take a thousand hairs per square inch, but a million hairs per square inch. My response was, oh my gosh, that's amazing that God knew what they needed for the environment that he was going to put them in. And then number two, I want to meet the guy who counted them. Right. I want to meet the guy that was like one, two, three. Oh, there's a million in here. Is what I think there's a million. Let's just write that down. Nobody's gonna. Who's gonna check? You know. You're gonna check? No, I'm not gonna check. We got to go behind the scenes to see the beluga whales. Some of you are like, what's beluga whales? So you can imagine a a white dolphin that looked like it lifted a bunch of weights. That's what beluga whales look like. They look real muscular, just these amazing creatures. And we're behind the scenes, and we're standing there with the person, the scientist that's in charge of the beluga whales. And I love to ask questions, and so I'm just peppering her with with questions. And one of the questions I asked her was, what's the hump all about? Because there's this hump, this ridge on the back of a beluga whale. I'm like, what's that all about? And she said, you know, beluga whales are in the Arctic, that area, and there's ice obviously there, and they need to breathe, so they have this ridge on their back, so they will swim down and then swim up and hit the ice with the hump on their back, and it will break the ice so that they can get air. Now, how amazing is that? Again, that God knew where he was going to put beluga whales, and he knew what they needed, so he gave them what they needed. There's order in nature. God loves order. I mean, even the way he designed the church, how does the Bible describe the church? It describes us as a body, but we're not all a hand. We're not all a foot. We're not all a shoulder. We're not all a waist. We're not all an ankle. Each of us is a different piece so that we work together. And in the same thing for marriage, there is a God-ordained order to marriage. Next thing I want you to see, husbands are to sacrificially love their wives. Let's read this real slowly and pick out the roles of the husband because actually, good news for you men, there's triple the amount of instructions for a husband in this passage than there is for the wife. Let's list them here. Verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. That's job number one, the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives are to submit to their husbands in everything Husbands, love your wives. That's job number two. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word, 
He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are, here's another one, love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but here's some more, provides and cares for it just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. And then verse 33, to sum up, each one of you is to, again, here's another one, love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. So husbands, you are the head of the wife. You're to love your wives. You love your wives as your own body. You provide for your wife. You care for your wife, and you love your wife as you love yourself. Triple the amount of instructions for you compared to your wife. Now, when some men hear, I'm the head of my wife, what we hear is, that's what I'm talking about. I'm in charge. Now, suddenly, my opinions and desires are now commandments from God. But that's not what we're talking about. That's not it. Uh, leadership in your home is about love. It's not about directives. You are not a master. You are not a boss. You are not a tyrant. You are not authoritarian. Uh, you are uh, responsible. That's what you are. This is not permission for you to be a boss. This is responsibility for you. In fact, men, this is an honor that God has given you. He's given you the privilege of being the head of your home. And with that privilege comes some specific requirements. This is not about your rights that now have the opportunity to be demanded. Look at some of the things that you're supposed to do in modeling your leadership after Jesus' leadership. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And look at this, and gave himself for her. This is the call of a man to make your life harder so her life is easier. Some of you young men in here, that's your lot in life. To make your life harder. To carry more burdens so she carries less burdens. If there is any marriage in here where the women are outworking the men, it is unbiblical. Because Jesus gives himself up for the church. There is no balance in the church's relationship with Jesus. Today is not about, oh, we come and we do our part. Now, Jesus, you come and do your part. This is Jesus. You have done everything. And this is just the bare minimum that we could scrap together in light of all that you have done. And that's the way your marriage should be. When people look at your marriage, men, they shouldn't think that your wife sacrifices more than you do. I had a friend once, and hopefully he doesn't listen to the podcast because he'll probably know who he is. And his wife could never go out and spend time with her friends ever because he just couldn't handle the kids. He could go out. He could go to a game and watch that with his friends. He could go over and uh, watch TV. He, he could uh, go out uh, after work. He could do a lot of stuff, but, but she couldn't because he just couldn't be bothered to be with their children. That is the most unlike Jesus thing I think I've ever heard. Men, you're supposed to give yourselves up for your wives. Make your life harder so her life is easier. Verse 26, he says something else. To make her holy, cleansing her with the washing 
of water by the word. So Jesus gave himself up for us on the cross. Why? To make us holy. To make us pure. Cleansing us with the washing of water by the word. Men, as we emulate this, some of the language is about a bride who in this culture uh, would take a ceremonial bath uh, before her wedding day. Kind of just, a, just an offering before God, a symbolic offering of the purity that she was bringing into her marriage. And the Apostle Paul is using some of that culture and some of that language here. Men, you have a responsibility Encouraging holiness and sanctification in your home, specifically through the Word of God. Why? Verse 27. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor. So why did Jesus give himself up? Why did he make us holy? Why did he cleanse us? So that he could present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. Amanda and I, we like to laugh about our uh, engagement story. Uh, I think I've told it to you before, but we're talking about marriage, so I'm going to tell it to you again. Uh, but uh, we spent the day together. Um, it was, I think, in April. April, yeah, I'm getting the head nod. It was in April. And, and I had had the ring for a while, and of course I had her father's permission, but uh, just trying to plan the perfect uh, way to ask her. And I lived in Missouri, so I came down for a weekend, and we were spending time in her college town, just kind of hanging out during the day. And, um, and then we we're heading back to Houston, and on the way out of uh, a town, towards, back towards Houston, we stopped at Wendy's. I remember this because it was a big day, so I got a triple cheeseburger and, uh, just to mark the occasion. I could do that back then, and I uh, got a triple cheeseburger. And so we drive back into Houston, and on our way to her, her house, her mom and dad's house, I say, hey, why don't we stop at the park? Now, we had a park, and I didn't have to say which park. We just knew this is the park because we would go there a lot because that's the kind of thing that you do when you're in love. You know, you don't do that as much when you get old and married. You're like, hey, let's go to a park. And be like, no, it's super hot. We're not going to a park. Let's, let's watch TV. That's what we're going to do. Let's put the kids to bed. Let's do that. Let's put that. Let's not take them to a park. Let's put the kids to bed, and then it can just be me and you, and we can breathe. And... Uh, but back in those days, we went to the park. So we swung by the park, and we got out, and we're sitting on this park bench. And I had made this box, uh, just a shoe box, a Nike shoe box, that had a bunch of our relational memorabilia in it. Cards, emails, receipts of dinners that we had shared together. Just a lot of, just of our history in there. And at the bottom of the box, I'd written uh, in my own handwriting, uh, ask me what's in my pocket. And so we got down to the bottom of the box, and she said, what's in your pocket? pocket and I got down on my knee pulled out the ring from my pocket and I said not the traditional will you marry me I said will you be my wife forever and ever and ever and she said yes so we have joked ever since then that this is not a till death do us part situation this is for eternity situation that we're going to be leaked up now the thought of being married to me for more than one lifetime is actually making her nauseous right now but it's our joke that we're going to be married forever and ever and ever. But we laugh about it. But I know really it's not true. I know it's not true that um, this is till death uh, do us part. And hopefully that death is a, is a super, super long time from now. But, but that's the situation. And uh, I know for real that one day she's going to stand before Jesus. And the question that I want to ask myself is, is she going to be more ready for that day because she's married to me today. When she stands before Jesus and has to give an account for her life and all the things that God has given her, 
she going to be more ready and prepared because she was married to me? See, that's not the question that most men are asking. Most men are asking, how can I arrange this marriage so it's super helpful and convenient for me? And the question maybe we should be asking, the thing we should be holding ourselves accountable, am I actually preparing, helping to prepare through the Spirit of God my wife to stand before Jesus more sanctified, more pure, more holy, because I got this little window with her and the blip of eternity. And then the last thing, wives are to respect their husbands. Verse 33, to sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. He uses the word uh, submit uh, earlier in the, in, in the section, and uh, really Bible scholars think it's just two sides of the same coin, so he's not giving two separate commands here. You should submit and you should respect, but he's just really saying it in a different way. He says submit in the first few verses, and then he, he sums it up with the word respect. Um, you know, and submission is kind of, I mean, that's a serious, I mean, that feels like a loaded word. I feel actually pretty bad about uh, saying it right now, to, uh, just so you ladies know that I wasn't like super like, yes, I get to tell them to submit and feel kind of awkward about it because it's just a real heavy word, you know, because you feel like a lot of people, a lot of women are going to balk at that. But actually, that my, the opposite has been my experience. And I've been in church my whole life, been around a lot of Christian women. I've been a minister for uh, since I was essentially 18 years old. And I could probably count on one hand how many women I've even heard about. I'm not sure I've even ever met a woman, a Christian woman, but how I've even heard about that really tried to reject this idea of the role of a husband and a role of the wife. In fact, in my experience, it's been the opposite. I used to, uh, before I, we started Bayou City, I used to uh, work at a, a nonprofit a ministry that was actually a women's ministry, and it had a worldwide reach, and does, still does have a worldwide reach, and I was the one man there trying to bring some resources to all these men, and uh, we had a blog at the time, uh, Living Proof did, and it uh, reached 10,000 women per day, so 10,000 women would log on to read this blog, and so one day I did a question and answer with them, like, I'm the one man in this women's ministry, and uh, you may have questions that you want all men to answer for and uh, here I'll be the sacrificial lamb uh, let me have it the number one question that we received coming in was I want my husband to be the leader of our home to take the lead spiritually to lead us in the way that God has asked him to do but he won't what should I do that was the number one question I heard a story this past week, literally just in the last seven days, about a husband and wife in their mid-30s, late-30s, kind of early-40s. They had some elementary kids, some middle school kids, and some early high school kids. And they were nominal church attenders, but they decided, hey, let's, let's get in there. Let's really commit. Let's go to church. So they, they went to uh, this church in their town, and uh, they went for a few weeks, really kind of started getting plugged in until the preacher said something that the husband didn't like. And the husband declared after church is over, we're never going to that church ever again. Uh, so they didn't. They started visiting a few other churches and they'd go to a church for a couple of weeks and they'd be like, well, I don't really like that. I like, they do this, but they do this and just pros and cons, pros and cons. And then they'd go and visit another church, more pros and cons, pros and cons. Well, when you're doing that, it's really hard. And, and they went from going to church every week to going to church three times a month to really just kind of, if we wake up early enough, then we'll go in. And uh, then mostly they just weren't going. Well, the wife just kind of eventually says, this is not what... I want to do with my life and 
So she walks in one Saturday night to the husband and says, here's the deal. I'm going to church tomorrow. I'm taking the kids and we're going back to that very first church. I know that he said that thing that you didn't like and you swore you'd never go back and that's fine. I'm not putting any pressure on you. I can't control you anyway. Uh, but we're going tomorrow. We would love for you to come, but you don't have to. That's the story that I hear most often. In fact, I could count on one hand how many times I've heard the story of a man who was really loving his wife as Christ loved the church, was taking the lead in loving uh, spiritual um, leadership, and the wife was like, I don't want any part of that. I could count on one hand how many times I've heard that story. There are not enough hands in the world to count the other kind of story, where the wife is the one driving the family to church, literally and spiritually. The wife is the one begging the husband to find his Bible. You don't even have to read it. Can you just find it? Will you at least come to church? That's the story that I'm hearing most often. But as I said, submission is a loaded word. You know, it's a loaded word. Most of us don't understand what it means. You know, we think about when you use the word submission. You use it as church in this context. And then the only other one I can think of is MMA mixed martial arts I mean honestly put them in a submission hold I got into it for one season not personally obviously but I had this guy who was coming to a Bible study that I was doing and he was a professional MMA fighter and he comes to me one Bible study and uh, he says hey I'm going to be on TV uh, next week and here's the channel and and so I stayed up late watching this real specific sports channel on cable and it was late at night and, and here he comes out of the tunnel and he's got the hood on and he's got this music and it was awesome and he got in there and the match started and literally within the first minute his opponent got him in some hold a submission hold if you don't know what a submission hold is essentially it's a you can tap tap out and end this fight or I'll break your arm. The choice is yours. And so the guy has him in the submission hold and he taps out. The fight was over. And I was like, I stayed up till 1230 to watch this guy get beat up in like 50 seconds. Um, and then I didn't even bring it up because it's kind of awkward, you know, like he probably didn't, was hoping that I wasn't watching the situation. But that's, that's the, that's our word. That's our view of submission. It's MMA fighting making somebody tap out, overpowering somebody until they have no option, and then the Bible. And a lot of people think that that's what submission is, that I get worn down, I tap up, I give up, and I give all control, I give all say, I give all decisions over to somebody else. And that's not it at all. Submission is voluntary. For submission is called something different. It's called abuse. So if there's a wife in here and your husband has forced you into submission, you are abused. That's what involuntary submission is. Submission is voluntary. And it's voluntary because look what it says in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands what? as to the Lord. So men, you can't even feel complimented about this. You can't be like, I'm such a great husband that my wife just submits to me all the time. No, she does it as to the Lord. She does it for the Lord. It doesn't matter if you're a good husband or a bad husband or somewhere in between. She is being responsible to God. It's not a compliment to you, but it's an offering to God, ladies. It's not about your husband's ego. It's not about where you're going to go to lunch today. 
It's an offering to God that you are going to respect the husband that he has put in your life and the God-ordained role that he has given that man. Again, he sums it up in verse 32. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Is the question I want to leave you with. Is the mystery of your marriage revealing the mystery of salvation? As people get a look into your marriage, as they get to peek behind the curtain, are they able to connect the dots to the mystery of how God is saving humanity? Men, when you talk about your wife at work, do your coworkers, do your friends, do they, do they wonder in amazement about how much you love and want to sacrifice for your family, specifically for that lady? Ladies, when your friends hear you talk about your husbands, do they hear you talk with a, a, a supernatural amount of respect, even when he doesn't deserve it? Do, do they hear you talking about him in a way that would honor God as you honor him? Now, some of us are like, hey, listen, I thought this talk was on me. I was real excited about this marriage thing uh, when you started. But, uh, but what I was looking for was more of how to help us communicate better. And we've lost the spark. And uh, how can we restore kind of that livelihood back to our marriage? And how can we just stop being two ships passing in the night? You know, we used to be, um, you know, we used to be boys to men. And now we're more Barney the Purple Dinosaur. You know, we used to be R&B. And now we're kids Bob, that's how do we get back to the to the 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 olden days? That's where I want to go. What are your practical help for that? We're fighting all the time. Help speak into that. And there are a million different messages you could do. But here's my theory, and this is just my theory. I think if you are the kind of person that says I am passionate about God using my marriage to declare the unending greatness of Jesus. If you are the kind of person who says, I want people to look at the mystery of our marriage, not the perfection of our marriage, but just the mystery of how we love one another and how we serve one another, uh, and then connect the dots to the mystery of our salvation. If you're that kind of person, then you're going to be the kind of person who not just is willing but longs to learn to communicate better. If you're that kind of person who cares that your marriage revolves around the things that matter most, then you're going to be the kind of person who can learn to be more financially responsible and you're going to be the kind of person who can get along with your in-laws better and you're going to be the kind of person who knows the right balance between physical and uh, emotional intimacy and you're going to be the kind of person who will learn to pick up their socks and you're going to be the kind of person who can listen instead of just talk. But first things first, and first thing first is that your marriage is not just about a bride and a groom. Your marriage is not just about when you walked down the altar and you stood before the minister or the justice of the peace or that guy in Vegas. Your marriage is about the Son of God giving himself up for the people that he loves. So God, we ask for your power to aim our marriages at something bigger than just earthly goals. 
And we want your way and your will in our marriages, not just so that we can have a healthier home and speak to one another more kindly and serve one another, but we want your will and way in our marriage because it reveals the mystery of salvation. And we care about that. We care about people coming to believe in Jesus. So strengthen up the marriages in this room. Not just for our sake, but for your sake, Jesus. Not just for our names, but for your name. God, pull some of us back from the brink of divorce. Not just because of what it's going to do to the kids, but what it's going to do for your reputation in this city. God, pull some of us back from the distance that we've created and the passive-aggressive silences that we came to church with this morning. Not just because we want to get along better, but because it reflects how you feel about your people. Jesus, we thank you that you're not passive-aggressive towards us, that you're not aggressive towards us in any way, that you love us and you've given yourself up for us so that you can sanctify us and make us holy and pure. So we receive the work you've done today. Now do that work in our marriages. In Jesus' name.